0: Psalm 27, if you want to open there in either the worship bulletin that you received on your chairs or in your Bibles. We're going to be reading through Psalm 27 as uh, another installment in our teaching series specifically called uh, People of Prayer. So this year we've dedicated, as Sarah alluded to, learning to pray. Uh, We acknowledge that We don't pray naturally. It doesn't come easy to us. We're not actually very good at praying, but it seems very clear from Scripture that Jesus taught his people, all of his followers, um, collectively and individually, to find life in dwelling with God in prayer. And so we want to become people of prayer, not merely people who pray Checking off a box, but we celebrate and rejoice in prayer. We struggle and wrestle in prayer together and in our own lives that we would live lives marked and permeated by the presence of God. So, hopefully, today we can see one other way that we can learn to pray. And specifically, what I hope we see is that waiting, this miserable place caught in the middle of where we are and where we want to go, waiting is one practical way we learn to pray. Psalm 27, would you stand with me as a tangible representation to put our hearts before the Lord in honor? Why don't we read this all together out loud? We're going to be in the CSB, which is a translation that's in your handouts. We're going to read it. We can read it all together. There are 13, 14 verses. So why don't we do that? All right. You ready? Verse 1. The Lord... Amen. Pray with me, Heavenly Father. We uh, we invite you to be here, present among us, by your Holy Spirit this morning, and we um, acknowledge that we are a tangled, um, mysterious bundle of fears, of desires and longings that oftentimes we are not even aware of what is driving us or drawing us, and so we invite you, Holy Spirit, um, to have your way with us. We want to open our lives to you. We want to open our very hearts to you now that you would help us learn more and more to follow Jesus, to see his glory, to experience his power and his presence And so for each one of us, whether uh, we've never taken a step in following Jesus and we're just exploring and investigating and listening to what he invites us into, trying to decide if it's what we will give our life to or maybe we've been following him for ages and uh, we need fresh experience and encounter of his presence to be strengthened, to feel whole, and to keep going, Um, would you meet us? Would you help us see that the contexts of waiting, whether small or significant, are an invitation to you to pray? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you take your seats. So it's probably about four or five years ago, um, I. Thought I was being really responsible and went to bed early. Uh, it was like 9 o'clock. Went to bed, felt really proud of that decision. Um, and uh, so I went to bed, woke up the next day, and looked, looked around. Where's Kate? I'm married. My wife. Where's Kate? And um, her side of the bed, clearly, like, it, it was my half was all wrinkled and hers was very flat and no just didn't even look rustled and thought, I don't think she'd just make her half of the bed when she got up. Wait, did she come home last night? So when I went to bed early and thought I was being so responsible, Kate was out with some friends that night and what I had done is locked the chain on the door. <laughs> so you have a key for you know, the bolt and the handle but you don't have a key for that chain that slides across And in my absent-mindedness, I locked that, and just a personal decision is not to have my phone on like loud, it's just on vibrate, and so it was over on my desk, away from the bed, and I didn't hear her many, many text messages, and reading through them, and just like the pit in my stomach that developed as as I read, babe, you locked the door, or no, coming home, exclamation point, babe, the door's locked, please come and open it. Missed call, missed call, missed call. <laughs> I knocked and couldn't get in. You're probably asleep. I'm going to Elise's house. <laughs> it's the beauty of community, FYI. When you know people that live right around the block from you and are in life together in your church, you have people when your roommate or significant other locks you out. And... Um, Kate waited on me to open the door, and I was not available to open the door. I was not able to open the door. I succumbed to what we all do as a creature who needed sleep, but in my uh, absent-mindedness, my lack of consideration for my wife, I just went through the motions and locked her out. It's a low point for me as a husband. But as creatures who are not self-sufficient in ourselves, waiting is one of the fundamental experiences to our existence. Kate waited for me and I failed her. (laughs) But we all wait for things, all the time. We wait for our first gen Nintendo Switch to load the new Zelda game that's so massive you're convinced the game console is about to start smoking and flaming from the stress. We wait in annoyance for a response to our texts and emails that we think our boss should have gotten to already. We wait in our boredom in line at Ralph's when we have too much stuff to go through the self-checkout line and need to go through the personed line. We wait for the movie to start while we put up with the mostly bad previews. We sit on the tarmac waiting to get off the plane that has landed while we sit in the stuffy uh, cabin after the air circulation has been turned off. Yeah. These are all true stories if you haven't been able to tell. We wait in dread when the doctor gives us or a loved one a prognosis we did not expect and we realize we live under the specter of death. We wait in our aloneness when a friend is upset with us and we don't know if they're going to ghost us because of it. We wait in our longing for a person that we could see ourselves marrying to enter into our life. We wait in chronic pain as we wrestle with the thoughts of our future self still living with the agony. We wait under our failures and our inadequacies and shame and questions about whether life is even worth living. We wait for Jesus to make himself known to us in a way that feels real, as we exert all our effort to not betray Him. We wait for our Father to answer our prayers, for our grown-up kids to turn back to Jesus, or our little kids to experience Jesus and choose to follow Him. To be human is to live more often as one who is experiencing waiting for something than not. But we will do anything to avoid the reminder of our finiteness that waiting puts before us, right? The worldly system of living without God in view and big business and big tech are keenly aware of our anti-waiting condition and offer us plenty of ways to escape it. Although there are simply ways to ignore it and it can't be escaped, no matter how hard we try, right? Marketing and advertising so often is just, hey, you don't need to wait, yeah, get up, come over, get this thing. Surely it'll satisfy you. But if we want to become a people of prayer, following Jesus, learning prayerful living, waiting is not an obstacle but an opportunity. We need to become increasingly aware of accepting God's invitation in our waiting to become one who prayerfully depends on Him, who prayerfully waits with Him, who prayerfully endures with Him. You see, if we want to follow Jesus, it's a common term that we use, that Scripture itself uses. What does that imply? It means that we see Him, we hear Him, we're following and responding to Him and that oftentimes leads us into the reality that we don't always have somewhere to go following him so we wait until he leads scripture too is filled with the witness of ordinary people like us waiting on an extraordinary god to move on their behalf noah wait this was crazy to me as i actually went back and looked how long people in scripture had to wait and then i compared it with myself i was humbled I was really humiliated, but then I got to the point of of just being humbled. Noah waited patiently while building an ark for over 50 years, waiting for God's word of judgment to be fulfilled. Now imagine that. Building the biggest boat ever, and all your neighbors and people around being like, what are you doing? Building a boat. That's the biggest boat I've ever seen. Yep. Yep. No, you've been building that boat for 25 years. It's not even close to done, man. When are you going to give up? I know. Just continuing to plug away and plug away. Abraham and Sarah waited in their barrenness for 25 years for God to fulfill his promise that they would have a child. Joseph waited in slavery in prison for 13 years, waiting for God's promise of being appointed a ruler to be fulfilled. I mean, that's not just waiting and longing, that's waiting and suffering. Moses waited as a shepherd of sheep in the wilderness for 40 years, not even realizing he was waiting for something, And then another 40 years, once God had called him to come and be the deliverer of of Israel, and then he shepherded Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. That's 80 years in the wilderness with real sheep and human sheep, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise to lead them into the promised land. And then he didn't get to go in. Jesus himself waited for God, throughout his ministry, as he openly told others, he only did what he saw his Father doing. I mean, he waited 30 years for the fulfillment of even starting his ministry, right? So waiting is simply to live dependent on God in an in-between moment. On the where you are, and the where the fulfillment of his promises comes into play. Waiting yields prayer... Because as we wait here where we are in either longing for what we don't have or suffering under what we do have, we look ahead in hope and we wait in prayerful dependence with God. It's the only way that we can wait with God and wait on God. Every other alternative besides prayerful dependence is running to something else to get us through the waiting. Psalm 27, where we are today, is filled with confidence in God, truths about God, pleas for help from God, and ends with a single command, wait on God. And so the one thing for us today is if we could take a small step as a people and as followers of Jesus to become aware that waiting is even a concept that's important to following Jesus, and we can try and infuse prayerfulness into the midst of our waiting, I think we'll be taking steps to becoming people of prayer. So waiting shows us three things from this psalm that we're going to see. Waiting shows us something about God. Waiting teaches us something about us. And waiting challenges us to do something about it. First, waiting shows us something about God, that his presence satisfies and secures us verse 1, the psalmist writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? And in verse 4, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. Now, note, when King David wrote this psalm, the temple didn't exist. Um, There was was a tabernacle. there There was simply a tent. And so when he speaks of the house of the Lord and the temple of the Lord, he's not talking about a physical building to go to. He's speaking of the very presence of God where he dwells. He's speaking of going into and dwelling near God in his presence. Because although God is everywhere all at once, You can't run from his, what we call, omnipresence. He also has a particular presence. That's where he's experienced in our reality. And we need to understand those two things are different. We live under his omnipresence, where where he is everywhere all at once, but we pursue and seek his particular presence. So God both satisfies and secures us. Our longings and our fears reveal our hardwiring to find life in God himself through prayer. Look at the psalmist's wording. It's intentional. The Lord is my life and my salvation. Not the Lord gives me life and salvation. God himself is my life. God himself is my salvation. God himself is my stronghold. So we don't We don't follow Jesus and we don't believe in God and and seek to follow Him and learn from Him so that we can receive something from Him here and now. We seek to actually learn to live life with Him, believing as we live with Him, He is all of those things for us, that our longings are fulfilled and our fears are things we're protected against from His presence with us. Part of what we need to come to grips with, especially so many of us are young, and we see so much life ahead of us, and the world tells us so much about our capacity for achievement and our capabilities, and there's there's some good in that, that we should believe we've been made by God for a purpose here and now, but we subtly start to believe that the world and our abilities have everything we need to live a satisfied life. And German priest Karl Rainer has something very profound for us to realize. He he writes this, in the torment, he's speaking of longing, in the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable. So everything that you can get that's attainable, but in its insufficiency, we come to understand that here in this life, all symphonies remain unfinished. I'm going to read that one more time. In the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable, we come to understand that here in this life, all symphonies remain unfinished. Every longing that you have, that the human heart can contain, was put there by God in its purest form to be a magnetic compass that directs us back into the heart and presence of God. To put it as clearly as I can, you were made by God for God. Desire was woven into your being, not so that you would feel inadequate or unaccomplished, but so that you would be longing and looking outside of yourself for the source that can fulfill you. All from his love for you. He made you with longing because he loves you. He wants, even in this broken, fallen world, entangled by sin, ensnared by idols, that we would remain restless until we find rest in him. St. Augustine wrote of his own longings, the the church father in the 4th century, in the days before following Jesus, in his own testimony. He says, Late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. Late have I loved. You were within me, but I was outside. And it was there that I searched for you. In my unloveliness, I plunged into the lovely things which you were created. But you were with me, but I was not with you. Augustine's reflecting back and seeing that he had access to the thing that could have satisfied him the whole time. But he was outside in the world looking for what could fulfill him. Words of wisdom. You need to know the waiting that you feel in that mysterious specter of being unfulfilled and unsatisfied with your life is a sign of God's love for you. Because every symphony in this world remains unfinished, except for the notes that we hear from the heart of our God singing out love to us, drawing you and I to himself, that we would live in his presence, that we would learn to dwell near him in all of life. That does not mean that we don't appreciate good things that he has created, but we don't put our ultimate trust in those things, and we don't put our ultimate source of finding peace and rest in those things. We see that our God created them as echoes of himself. Now, even the phrase eternal life, that in an evangelical culture, which is just a kind of subset of popular Christianity in America and in the West. We use this word word, eternal life to talk about living forever after you die. But actually, the way that the New Testament uses this phrase eternal life is itself more a quality of the life we live here and now, speaking of what we're talking about, finding fulfillment with God, the kind of fulfillment we were created for. The only place in the New Testament that eternal life is defined is in John 17, 3, and Jesus himself tells us. He says, this is eternal life, that they, speaking of his followers, may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. It's really simple. Eternal life is the experiential knowledge of life with God here and now. And so, as the psalmist writes, my soul longs for you, the Lord is my light and my salvation. I've asked one thing of the Lord, it's what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. He writes something profound. That God Himself is able to satisfy every human longing. And to protect us From every one of our fears. The psalmist goes on. To describe his experience. In verses 7 and 8. Where he tells us our second point. Waiting teaches us something about us. That every longing and fear. Is an invitation to seek him. So God is able to satisfy. and To secure us. But also we need to know we play a part in the seeking. That is, that that we actually pursue Him. Verses 7 and 8. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek His face. Lord, I will seek Your face. Much of following Jesus and being a Christian is a kind of waiting that is seeking. It's directing ourselves to God, banking on Him and some of the crazy promises that Scripture holds out for us. And saying, I will wait until you fulfill your promise to me. I won't go outside of you. I won't ignore you. I will seek you. If God created us with these longings as an act and sign of his love, the way that we love him in return is seeking him. You and I were made not only to receive his love, but to love him in return. And so we seek. So when we're waiting in our lack of feeling satisfied or in our fear of the perils of this world, we wrestle with him to be kind of hold down our souls before Him in all of the writhing that we feel, temptation towards idols, temptation to fear man, we wrestle with God. And that's why in verses 9 and 10, the psalmist is so real when he says, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Don't leave me or abandon me, God. Scripture is so real to our experience. There's not some like ideal Christian faith that you're just not good enough to discover. It's about wrestling. It's about waiting. And continuing to wrestle and continuing to wait is one of the foremost ways we love God in return. It's much of what following Jesus is about. I'm going to tell you something very peculiar. It's very surprising and it's not intuitive. God hides himself in a place that he can always be found so that we must pursue him in order to experience him. That's why Jesus told parables about the kingdom being like these hidden things. Like a treasure that a man stumbled across that was so precious he went and gave away everything he had in order to buy the field. Well, it was was a hidden thing. That's what God does. And it surprises me because I would think if I were God, I'd just show up with signs of obviousness. But that's why we are not God. We, we don't know, we don't have the kind of wisdom that creates mature worshipers of God. And a part of God giving us food that builds us up into maturity is Him being just near enough that we can always find Him, but always just far enough that we need to search him out. And sometimes, to be quite honest, I don't like that. Artist and poet Strand Coleman writes of this longing and seeking of God. He says this, You're always dancing with me, inviting me to find you. Before you clothe yourself in mystery, your beauty is in your hiddenness. May you learn to love the hiding God in this lifelong journey of divine discovering. Finding as much pleasure in the God you don't see as in the one you do. What if God's hiddenness, His hard-to-reachness isn't divine detachment but entirely the opposite? An invitation that sparks our desire to dance within His mystery. What if the very thing that makes us ache this longing for the God we can never quite grasp is meant to make the adventure a little more magnificent. If we can see God's hiddenness as beauty, then those seasons of holy unattainability or the moments when we feel most alone can become an invitation into greater depths of his love. Now, I'm not so poetic as to understand the ins and outs of everything that he's describing there, but simply saying... Let's not despise the fact that sometimes God feels far off. Let's press in to seek him, knowing he will let himself be found by us. So, I wonder where you are searching for God in your life, for longings to be fulfilled, for security, in peril, love, safety, power, pleasure, beauty, intimacy, all of these good things that become bad things when we make them ultimate. Maybe it's in your work. It's a very common one in our context. Maybe you're waiting for the fruit or for the enjoyment of your work to grow up into the vision that you imagined. Maybe it's in your relationships, waiting through the process of slow growth, of the need for breakthrough in relationships, for greater depth and intimacy with people around you where you just feel like you're near them but not really known by them. Maybe it's in needing to forgive people around you and to wait through seasons of pain. Maybe it's in suffering, waiting for wholeness or healing of broken bodies or ailing spirits or minds that aren't working properly. Maybe it's in longing, simply needing provision to be fulfilled by God in some way. Maybe it's confusion, waiting for fog to lift and feeling like you can understand and discern up from down and which way to move forward and proceed with him. Maybe it's in weakness, feeling fear that you yourself are the biggest hurdle in your life. Maybe it's in loneliness. But in order to wait on God well and prayerfully, we need to be able to put words to what we're waiting for. We can't settle for the vague thing that compulsively will lead us and tempt us if we're not aware of the words we need to put on it so that we can give it over to God in prayer verbally. Maybe it's as simple for you this morning as saying, Lord, I feel tempted towards money, towards sex, towards whatever it may be, okay? So that you could start to put words to it. But in order to wait on God, we need to identify what we will say no to because those things will lead us away from Him. So, what is it that you need to say no to right now in order to wait in His presence? To wait on Him. Okay. There's a story from 2 Kings that I'm not going to read in full, but I think it's a helpful example. King Hezekiah... Is ruling over Israel, and Sennacherib from Assyria comes to him and starts threatening that the king is going to come from Assyria and conquer you. So you might as well just bow your knee now and, and surrender. Otherwise, it's going to go bad for you. Okay? So you could just imagine what are, the, what are the perils that approach you at your doorstep today? What are the things that are telling you if you do not come to me in order to seek protection or shelter or fulfillment? God certainly will not come through for you. And so, King Hezekiah goes to Isaiah, the prophet of the day, and says, you need to go to God on our behalf because this threat is coming. And I don't know what to do. We need God himself to come through for us. And so, Isaiah answers him and says, The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I have heard your prayer to me about King Sennacherib of Assyria. This is the word the Lord has spoken against him. And he speaks multiple verses about the judgment of what he's going to do to the king of Assyria. And then he gives words of consolation or comfort to the king when he says, this will be a sign for you, Hezekiah, that God is on your side. This year, you'll eat what grows on its own. And in the second year, what grows from that. But in the third year, you will sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Now, what in the world does that have to do with waiting? Okay? He was saying, this is what God's telling you. You're going to have to wait two years in this in-between. You're only going to be able to eat what you have here and now. But in the third year, you're going to have the freedom to be able to go out and have no threat and plant and sow just like before. But you're going to need to wait a couple of years. So for us, what we can hear in that is that in our longings and in our fears, God may allow us to wait but he will be faithful to deliver us from the fear and fulfill us in the longing. He will be faithful. That's what he did for Israel in that story. It's what he continues to do for us in our day. But we need to know what we need to say no to, where we won't go. So, some examples. We refuse to wait when we entrust our desires and fears to people around us. It's called fear of man in Scripture. It would be as if King Hezekiah goes to the the Assyrian invading king and says, okay, I'll make a deal with you. Just leave this part okay, and then we'll oblige. We'll, We'll surrender to you. Maybe for you, it's putting all your eggs in the basket of work and enslaving yourself to your boss's opinion over you, over God's opinion of you. We also refuse to wait when we look to fulfill our root desires with earthly things instead of God. This is called idolatry in scripture and it has to do with the breaking of God's commands. Did you know that what God commands of us is actually intended to produce the barrier or the frame for life with him. So when he says don't go outside of this, he's saying don't leave me. Don't leave my presence. Don't Refuse to wait on me to protect you and fulfill you. Stay here within this portrait, within this sandbox, and I am with you. And so when our fears or our longings lead us outside of God's commands to not do certain things and to do other things, like love the people around us, what we're actually doing is fleeing God into what Scripture calls idolatry. And so, that could be running to substances to escape pain or fill our emptiness. It could look like marrying someone that we ought not marry, not following Jesus to fulfill our longing for intimacy according to our terms. It could look like all sorts of things, dealing with sex or money or power. But at the end of the day, God is faithful and trustworthy. We need one another to walk together in our waiting. We can't do it alone. Me giving you this information about God and his power is not enough for you to follow him on your own. We need community. That's what discipleship is. And so if you don't have that, I invite you to join a missional community that meets during the week or a discipleship group of men or women where we're wrestling for transformation by being vulnerable with one another and to cast your longings and fears on God in prayer this morning, knowing he will protect you That he will provide for you. Because lastly, waiting challenges us to be strong together following Jesus in our waiting. The chief expression of love for God, a chief expression of love for God, is willingness to wait for him. God receives love from you. God receives love from you and I when we trust his word and wait for him. Jesus receives worship in our waiting. And so I don't know what waiting you're going through right now, but as you learn to pray with him, God actually is moved in his heart by your expression of worship and love. And it's actually what you were saved into. Last couple of verses here. Verses 13 and 14. This is what the psalmist says. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Verses like verse 13 sound too good to be true in our age of cynicism, where there's always a hidden catch. I am certain I will see God's goodness here. You read through the Psalms, you read through the Scriptures, Jesus says, come to me, anyone who has thirst, and you will be satisfied. Or he says, come and eat of me, I'm the bread of life, and you will be satisfied. And we think that, well, yeah, you know, it was given... 2,000 years ago, life was so much more simple. Here and now, though, it's so complicated. And so there's a part of it that's true. But at the end, it's a lot more complicated than that, Jesus. When in actuality, we've got it reversed. We are complicated. God's promises are very simple. And there's beauty in that. Because even children can understand it. And the same is true and offered to all of us. Jesus, as we look to him, we see that the simplicity of God's promises will hold true in our waiting. Look to Jesus. Hear his words when he says, like in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So when we feel alone, we take that to God. We can stand and say, God, even hold him to his word. Jesus, you said you won't leave me alone and I feel alone right now. Holy Spirit, help me. And he will be faithful. He can only be faithful. Did you know that? He can only be faithful because it's his character. It's his very nature that those promises flow from. He would de-God himself if he broke his promise to you. So, this morning, let's look to Jesus as the fulfillment of all of God's promises, his assurance that he will come to us in our longing as we see his beauty and his love. He will deliver us from all of our fears. He's defeated even death itself. He's powerful.